were up to me right now, and I mean this very honestly, we would stop what I'm about to say and just sing those again. In Revelation, it talks about what we will do in the presence of God, and there's not a lot of teaching going on, but there's a lot of singing, majesty. Your grace has found me. We are alive. Guys, we're really grateful for that. Thank you for bringing us into the spirit of God. Yes, we can applaud that, of course. Holy Week is something that we celebrate, and as we celebrate it, we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross, and on Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. But Holy Week is something that started far beyond that, before that, because it would have been Passover. It would have been a time where people would have gathered to come to celebrate what God had done previously. If you look at the Jewish calendar, it's remarkable how many festivals they had and how many times over and over they had to remind themselves of God's goodness. Passover was a time where they remembered that the angel passed over their houses, spared them from death. They had to be reminded of that fact generation by generation over and over again because they forgot. They're forgetful people. We grafted into God's family. We are forgetful people, aren't we? How often that we forget the goodness of what God has done in our lives over and over and over again. And so today, this week, this weekend, we remind ourselves of that. We remember Jesus. We remember his sacrifice. I don't really intend to say anything like earth-shattering, but rather just to look at Jesus' life through a single lens, maybe. As we look through not just his death, but we just find pinpoints of his life, five or six things where we look at a singular focus and maybe it will help us the rest of the weekend to maybe focus on Christ and his sacrifice, not just in this hour, but the rest of today and tomorrow and Sunday as we reflect on one part of who Jesus was. There's this really cool story. Bill Versnick actually told me this story years ago about these, um, this family living in uh, France, 100 plus years ago. Very, very poor family with a dozen kids and the father had no ability to, to do anything except for just to help them survive. He worked day jobs and night jobs, anything he could just to get enough food on the table. That was his job and his life. But these two young men, as they grew up, had great talent and skill. They were able to do things with pen and paper and with sculpture. They were artists and they knew it. And they said, we have ambitions. We want to go to art school. If we just had the proper training and the time, we could do this for our lives and we could provide for ourselves and our families and give this great impact on the world. But they knew their family would never be able to cause them, to, to give them the money to be able to do that. So they devised a plan. And they said, here's what we're going to do. One of us is going to go into the mines and we're going to work. And every dime that we make in the mines will support the other one who goes to art school. And, and they will support each other. And when, when this, the, the brother who finishes art school, hopefully that they, he's renowned enough and, and creates this art and he can sell it and then pay for the other one that was working the mines to then go to art school and they can both fulfill their dream one after the other. And they even made the pact that even if after art school they can't make any money, then he'll go to the mines and the other one will go and go to art school. So they made this pact and they said, brother, we're gonna do this. They flipped a coin to decide who was gonna go to art school, who was gonna go to the mines. 
And they did, and one brother goes, and he fulfills his vow. And he goes to the mines, and he works tirelessly day after day for two, three, four years while the other one studied and worked. And very quickly, his teachers and his, and his students and his, and his fellow peers re- remarked at how wonderful of an artist he was. He could draw, he could paint, he could sculpt. He was rising to the tops of the ranks. He was going to be famous. And his brother toiled in the mines for years, paying for his way there, waiting for his chance. After, after art school, they knew he came back home and they celebrated what was gonna happen to their family because they knew he is gonna be known, not just now, but for a long time. He's gonna make a lot of money. He's gonna provide for our family. So they hold this big feast with all their kids and grandkids, whoever's there around, they hold this big feast. And the brother who went to art school says, I want to make a toast. And I wanna to toast my brother who for the past years has toiled with his hands and cared in the mines, and every dime that he made gave to me so that I used to go to art school. Brother, I want to tell you now, it's my turn. I will pay every dime that I have so you can go to art school. And there's a silence in the room as his brother, who was in the mines, just weeps and weeps and weeps and says, it's too late for me. All the work I've done with my hands in the mines, I've broken every hand in my bone, and my, every bone in my hands. I can barely write my name. I will never be able to draw again. But brother, it was worth it. I continued to do it for you so that you could succeed. He sacrificed his future and his love for his brother. And they just sat there and wept. And eventually, this man drew this painting that you guys know called Praying Hands. And it's this picture of these two hands that are just mangled and broken and bruised. And they can't even fit together because they just aren't straight anymore. And he painted his brother's hands that sacrificed so much for him. This is the most famous work. He sacrificed one brother for the next. I wonder how often we think about Christ's hands in Scripture. We talk a lot about his blood, because that's what Scripture said, the blood of, of Jesus, right? It, it cleanses our sins. But if you ever look through, through Scripture and look at what his hands were doing, that's what I want our focus to be today. I want our focus to look at the hands of Jesus through several of these quick stories, just these pinpoint highlights of his life and of his death. And then this weekend, I want us to focus on that as we go through our days. We see our own hands as we do menial tasks throughout the day and big tasks and we pray and read, whatever. We look at our hands and we remark, not of our hands, but of Christ. Let me read you a couple some things that happen in scripture, because even as he's beginning his ministry, when he begins to speak in the, uh, in, the, in the synagogue, here's what it says, when the Sabbath came, he begins to teach in the synagogue. Many of his listeners were astonished. They said, where did this man get these things? Where did his wisdom come from? He has performed such miracles with his hands. Is he not a carpenter, son of Mary? How could they imagine that someone who worked with his hands, some people believe that it was like masonry work or with stone, some people with with wood. It doesn't matter. He's still working with his hands either way, even before his ministry. His hands started the work. And with fine woodworking or whatever it was, would finish the work with his hands, even before his ministry. And they remarked, how can a man that worked with his hands know such things in his head? The wisdom that he had that no one else had. And even more than that, he says, it's not just the wisdom, but with his hands, he's healing people. And it even goes on later. Let me read you some other ones. In Luke 4, it says, when the sun is setting, all that who had been there who were sick with various diseases bring, uh, were brought to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. 
They were so excited just to be touched by the hands of Jesus. Later it says, this is in Matthew 19, the children were brought before him. Matthew 19, 13, if you're following along. The children were brought before him that, they may, that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked him and says, whoa, get away, we got more important things to do. And Jesus says, no, 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 let them come here. He lays his hands on them and he prays. Do you notice the difference between the two there? What the adults came to do? What did they need his hands for? Physical healing. God, my body is in shambles. I need your healing touch on my hand. The children come. They just want to be close. They just wanted to be touched by him, to be prayed by him, and then to move on. How often do we do the first and not the second there? How often do we get, God, I need your hands. Heal my life. Heal my family. Heal whatever it is. Heal me, heal me, heal me. How often do we go before God and say, God, just, just pray for me. I just want to be close to you. Just draw nearer to me for a minute. Maybe that's what we focus on this weekend. God, forget my physical ailments and problems for a second, but just give me your hands that I might know you. That's what the kids wanted. There's more of it. When Jesus goes to his last supper, focus on his hands. He goes with his disciples. And by the way, this wouldn't have been like a, like a first supper. This would have been something that they were preparing for Passover. This was a meal that they had many, many times. This was a tradition that they had to remember what God had done in the past. What he was gonna do is he broke the bed and they drank and did all these things. This was something they knew was coming, but what he said was new because he took his hands and he breaks the bread. And what does he say? This is my body. This was new to them. When you eat this next time, next time you celebrate Passover, when you eat this, remember me. He's foreshadowing. He knows something's about to happen, right? He's about to be delivered in the hands of sinners to die and then be resurrected. He's setting something up. And then he takes the wine with his hands and he takes it and he says, this is my blood. This is a new covenant. The new covenant's so powerful because the old covenant, you would take the best possible lamb you could, however blemished, and you would, and you would slaughter it and it would be there and that would be the sacrifice of sin for a moment. But the new covenant comes and it's a spotless, perfect lamb of Jesus Christ forever. I've got a new covenant for you. When you drink this, remember me. We're gonna get the opportunity to do that in a minute. Think how important his hands were to that story. Think about him being in the garden. And he goes with his disciples. He says, keep watch. I'm in agony. I'm gonna go pray. And he prays to his father. He says, God, if there's any other way, let this pass from me but your will be done. It goes back to his disciples. And what do they do? They're sleeping. He says, guys, wake up. I asked you to watch for me. Not once, not twice. He goes back three times. Each time they fall asleep. And finally, the third time, you know who's coming. Judas is coming with his betrayers and they're coming to arrest him. And here they come and Peter does something that I can see myself doing, um, um, like an emotional response to something. What does Peter do? Takes his sword, and he's ready to stop their work, right? They're coming here to stop Jesus' work, and Peter says, no, I'm not gonna have it. What does Peter do? Takes and cuts the man's ear. Peter uses his hands in the moment for destruction, for pain, to stop what they were trying to do. Jesus, even in the middle 
of their sin against him, what does he do? Takes his hand and heals the man. Right in the middle of them. Do you guys even ever imagine doing that in your own life? You want to look at like two examples of how we ought to respond to those that do evil against us? How often do we, and by I mean we, I mean me, how often do I you see something that comes against me and your first response is, I'm going to show them what's wrong. I'm going to show them how they're wrong. I'm going to show them how I'm right. I'm going to make this right in my own way now. That's my response. But Jesus not only tells them that they're wrong, doesn't even do that, but rather just heals his oppressor. I wonder if we could do that instead of defending ourselves all the time, use our hands to say, bless you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to care for you. And I'm going to ask that the Lord does things for you that he can't even do for me. That's the example of Jesus in that moment. It, it gets even better because then he's arrested and he goes not right away before Pilate, but before that he goes before the chief priests in the Sanhedrin. And he all night he's there being questioned. And the scripture says that they're looking all night for false witnesses, people that can testify against him to say, he's gotta die, he's gotta go. They needed him to die. And they said, even though witnesses came forward, they found nothing that they could find wrong with him until they asked Jesus himself, are you the Messiah? And he says, yes, I am. And this is the famous scene we see where he says he tears his clothes, the high priest does. And they tear their clothes in such anger and they say, what else do you need? He's gotta go. You know what it says they do next? I've skipped over this every year until I was thinking about his hands. It says they threw him down and some of them closed their fists to hit Jesus. Some of them open their hands to hit Jesus. <laughs> I think it's great that we're not condemned by our sin anymore and that we don't have to have guilt for that, but you can look back at times in your life and you said, Lord, I did that. There were things I had in my head and in my actions, things that I did were basically taking my hand right to you in a destructive way. Praise the Lord for what John says, that we have mercy, that we are not condemned for those actions, and neither is he. They struck him with his hands. And then he takes the long road to the cross and walks, and then he goes up, and you know the most famous one you're gonna see here. It's he goes on the cross, and they pierce his hands, and they pierce his feet, and they hang him there. Their goal was to stop his work. He used his hands his whole life, even before his ministry. Everything that he did with his hands as he built. And then in his ministry, he healed with his hands. He told parable with his hands. He broke bread with his hands, everything. And they said, he's got to stop it. So they took his hands and they tried to stop the work. And the greatest iron of it all is what actually happens. He doesn't just continue his work through those hands. He finishes it. Aren't we grateful that as we try to stop God's work inadvertently often, that he doesn't just stop his work, he doesn't just continue it through us, but he has finished it already. I think it's fascinating in Colossians, there's this cool scripture, because it talks about what's going on in 
Jesus' heart and what's going on in their heart at the moment that's happening. Picture Jesus on the cross dying, and here's what Colossians, here's what it says. While, while you were dead in your sin, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, having taken it away, nailing it to the cross while we were yet sinners. Guys, that's something I want to remember today. This is not new, but it's something we need to remind ourselves over and over again, that while we were actively against God, that's when he showed us grace and mercy. While we were dead in our sin, God made us alive with Christ. One of the fascinating things about the cross is that, you know, for this play, we have to have it raised up in the air. We've got to make sure people can see and stuff. But in reality, the cross would have been placed right outside of the city, right along busy roads, and probably eye level. They did this for two reasons. One, because as they nailed people there, most of them criminals, other than Jesus, these were people that Romans thought deserved to die. And it was a warning sign for those that passed by. They would see these people gasping for breath, trying to survive there, and they're only inches off the ground. Their feet are tantalized by the ground so close. About, oh, if I get my feet down, I'd be so close to be able to breathe, but I can't. And they would mock them there. But it was even more than that. Because the people that walked by would be right face-to-face with whoever was dying there, face-to-face with Jesus as they mocked him. The goal was to make a public display of him, to show, this is your king, they say. Take yourself off that cross, you're so close. Do something. And they spit on him, and they hurled insults at him, and they mocked him. It changes it when you think about them right there. They tried to make a mockery in a public display. I'm gonna read you the rest of that verse. Here's what it says. When you were dead in your sin, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sin, having canceled out the legal indebtedness against us. That legal debt is death. Canceled it out, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And then it says this, verse 15 having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Isn't that just like Jesus? To take something that was evil and against him, and they thought that they were triumphing over him, looking at him and saying, look at your king here. They made a a spectacle of him, and he says, no. Christ triumphed over them by making a public display of them on the cross. That ought to be encouragement to us for everything that we've ever had go against us. That we think people have made a mockery of the, of the faith of Jesus Christ or are against us in any way or any kind of, in the path of obedience, any kind of thing that goes against you, you can say, you know what, that might be wrong or something, but God's gonna use that as a public display of triumph, not a public display of weakness as they so thought. If you'd allow me to move forward in the story for just a minute, because we want to share the resurrection story on Sunday. But there's this cool story. I think it's my, my dad. I think it's his favorite story in scripture. 
There's a story afterwards where there's these men traveling away from Jerusalem to a road to a town called Emmaus. And they're walking down the road and they're talking about all that had just happened. And the scripture says that Jesus joins them and that they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't know if he had something over his face or whatever, but likely I think that God uses power to just disguise himself. Jesus is there, but they don't know that Jesus is with them. And as they're talking, Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? What's, what, what, what are you doing? He says, have you not, do you not know what's, how could you not know what's going on? Especially concerning this Jesus of Nazareth. Let me tell you, because we thought he was going to be the king. We thought he was the Messiah. And they came and they crucified him and he died. And that was like three days ago. We thought so badly he was going to be our Messiah and he's dead. But they even said, you know, we heard some rumors of the women that went there and they said that it was empty and the tomb was empty and even some of his disciples had seen that it was empty. And Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, almost scorns them and says, why are you so slow to believe? This is your history. You've seen coming to this point, you knew this was gonna happen and yet you still don't believe? And as they walk and now they're to their town, and Jesus acts like he's continuing to move on. And they say, hold on, it's nearly the end of the day. Why don't you come to our home? We'll give you dinner. You can rest here. Continue on your journey the rest of the day. You're being kind to him. Continue your journey later. You are, this is too late in the day. It might even be dangerous for you to be out. Why don't you come with us? Jesus says, okay. Still, they don't know him. But as they sit down, do you know when it says that suddenly they realized who was before them? He took his hands and he broke the bread. Now, Scripture doesn't say this, but I think they saw his hands. And I just think they saw the wounds. And all of a sudden, God gave them the ability to see who was before them. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Messiah, the risen one, was right before them. Now they recognize Jesus. And you know what they do now? Because just minutes before, they said, hold on, it's too late. Please don't go on. It's dangerous out there. Don't, don't go on at all. I'll just stay here with us. As soon as they see who's before them, they take off. And they go, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. They are gone. People need to know we just saw Jesus Christ resurrected. Nothing is, I don't care what time of day it is. Nothing is gonna stop us from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I wonder if that's us this weekend and beyond. I wonder if when you contemplate the hands of Jesus and how often you see them, sometimes God keeps us from knowing what he's doing, right? He keeps us from knowing what he's doing. And all of a sudden it's revealed to us what God is doing. Our response to that ought to be, run, go share. Go tell people what God has done for you and for me. That's what I want our focus to be today and tomorrow as we reflect on everything that God has done Use it through the lens of your own hands. As you wash dishes, say, Lord, thank you that my work is done. I no longer labor in vain because you finished the work. When you start your car, say, Lord, thank you for your work that I no longer have to work for your affection. Everything you do, even if your hands turn to destruction, say, Lord, I'm sorry for the sin of my hands. Thank you for your hands that stop that sin's work and then complete yours. Pray that we would see and recognize 
Christ's hands when they're at work in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, God, I'm so thankful for the work of your hands. Even before Thomas, Lord, that he saw your hands. It's okay that he questioned, Lord. Sometimes we question as well. God, we're thankful for the moments that we do see your hands at work. God, may we remember them today, tomorrow, this weekend, Lord. We wanna remember your cross all the time, but this weekend especially, God, we we wanna recognize them in a big way. We don't want it to leave our minds, not for a second for the next three days. God, remind us over and over, yes, your hands have the power to heal. Yes, they have the power to bless. But Lord, those are the hands of a perfect sacrifice on the cross that took the pain and shame and the wrath of God and the sin of all mankind for us. Lord, we thank you for your hands on the cross today. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.